The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Father Ambrose Little. I'm a Dominican from Providence, Rhode Island, and I've come down here to talk about, uh, to talk at the uh, Ignited by Truth and to give talks at different parishes about a confraternity I promote called the Angelic Warfare Confraternity. That's not the subject of this homily, but if you wanted to learn more about that, I'll be giving a talk later today at 3 o'clock. But today's gospel gives us a very important message about how to follow God. Right? It's teaching us about how to have a radical trust in God's divine providence. We hear the gospel end with, Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. It's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing to live, a hard saying to incorporate into our very lives. And so how do we do this? How do we begin to let worry less about what is coming and just accept what is here today. Well, I want to begin by talking about what the Lord is not saying. And one of the things he's not saying is he's not encouraging us to never plan. Right? He's not saying don't plan for tomorrow. Um, because we do need to make plans and not do everything at the last moment, even though some of us would like to think we could do everything at the last moment. Rather, what he's telling us is not to worry. Right? So there's a difference there. Planning is like preparing for the future, but worrying is, you know, sometimes our plans are going to fail, and we worry about whether or not they will fail. But here the Lord is telling us not to be anxious, because even if our plans fail, right, all things are in his hands. Now again, this is easier said than done, right? But the Lord does make a good point. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? So then how do we learn not to worry? How do we learn to trust in God's mercy and his providence all the more? 
Well, it's a complicated thing because it depends upon the individual. What types of things worry us? What types of weaknesses are we vulnerable to that might be taken advantage of? And so really to learn how to trust in God and not to worry is actually a very personal journey. But there is a way that we can go about doing it. We need to find those particular aspects in our lives that draw us to worry, that lead us to lack, to not trust in God. And then to reflect upon those weaknesses in our life and ask God to bring his healing grace in there. And so to kind of help us to reflect on this, I want to re- just look at one particular vice that many of us may fall into um, that would bring worry into our life. And then what responses we might be able to find in prayer to then kind of remove that worry from our lives, or rather to have God take that worry away from us. And so the focus on the rest of this homily is going to be on the sin of vanity. Because vanity does lead us to worry. Why? Well, we can think of vanity as being putting a greater importance on the opinions of others than is worthwhile. And it has the ability to lead us into despair when we worry too much about the opinions of others. But it's a complicated reality. And so I want to look at three different ways in which vanity may strike us in our daily lives. And the first is just a general idea of worrying about the opinions of most of the people that we come across. Many of us have... This is an easy thing to, uh, for us to see and to fall into, but many of us have this problem where we do worry about the opinions that others have, whether they be friends or family or whether they be strangers and co-workers or, you know, just somebody we meet on the street. We have, it's, it's a subconscious thing in many ways because it's a very animalistic thing. We want to wor- worry about how we survive and cooperate with other people in society. But the problem with vanity in this sense, worrying about the opinions of others, even those that we don't know very well, is that it tends to trivialize our value. Why? Because worrying about the opinions of others is actually often saying that we depend for our value on the opinions of others, that we often are worried about, am I valuable? Is what I'm doing worthwhile? And so we tend to look for the opinions of others to say, yes, you are valuable. Yes, what you're doing is worthwhile. But of course, we all know that the opinions of others are fickle, and they change from day to day and from time to time, and depending upon moods and activities. And so this sort of way of evaluating ourselves is only going to lead to despair. The cure to this is to realize that our value is not found in the way that other people perceive us. Our value is rooted in the fact that God has made each and every one of us in his image. From the beginning of time, all men and women have been made in the image of God. And though this may be scarred by sin, and may be dulled by the world, yet it's there and can always begin to shine through. And as Christians, we have an added benefit In baptism, we were adopted, made sons and daughters of God. And that added value is something that can never be taken away. It can be given up, but it can never be taken away. And if we realize that our value as human beings is rooted in the fact that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and that we as Christians are his sons and his daughters, 
we realize that the opinions of others matter little because it is only God who gives us value and he has given us all the value that we need and will build upon it and make it shine. And if we keep that forefront in our minds, vanity will begin to disappear and confidence in God will begin to arise. So that's one way of looking at vanity. But another way of looking at vanity, which is a bit more insidious and a bit more secretive, is desiring the approval of a certain group of people. And what do I mean by this? Well, I mean, there are many, there's sometimes we don't care what the, what the populace at large thinks about us, about us, but we do care what particular groups of people think about us. And these groups are those people with whom we share common values, right? We value the same sorts of things, and therefore we then value the opinions of those people who value these sorts of things. Now, the difference here is the vanity comes not so much from desiring the opinion of the other, but looking and seeing, valuing the same sorts of things that they do and hoping that if somebody else thinks I'm, I'm doing the right sort of thing, then, of course, I must be. It's a bit complicated to talk about this in the abstract, so I want to go to a couple of different examples of how this might be lived out. So let's say that you, have, you value good parenting, right? This is a good thing. It's something that all parents should strive for. And that it's a value that really does kind of bring out the good not only in yourselves but in others. But the problem is we don't always know when we're being good parents. And so we have a tendency to look at other parents and what they're doing or think about what does this family think about the way that I'm raising my children. You know, because as we know, sometimes there are certain things allowed in some families that are not allowed in others. And this can be a cause of concern. We might think, is this the right thing? And instead of worrying about, is this the right thing for my children, we might be worrying, what do others think about this particular rule? So we value the right sorts of things, but we don't necessarily evaluate ourselves correctly through the opinions of others. This can also be found in another very good desire, which is the desire to be a good Catholic. You know, some, we want to go to heaven. We want to experience our Lord in the Eucharist. We want to find forgiveness in, in confession and to live a good life. But sometimes we think that we do these things well only when other Catholics who we think are good Catholics judge us to be, doing, to be living well. When in fact, the complicated aspects of being a good Catholic and following the faith with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind is not available to others. And so to evaluate ourselves uh, by looking at how other people perceive our ability to live the faith is only going to lead to despair. And so the values that we have here are not what's bad. It's about how we evaluate ourselves based upon the opinions of others. And ultimately, because others can't see the whole picture of who we are, they can't reach down into our very hearts, into our very souls, it's going to be problematic. The way to begin to kind of be healed from this sort of worry is to begin again to trust that it is God himself who sees what we are doing, who knows the situation, and who will begin to judge things aright. So that even if others can't see that what we are doing is what is necessary for our own good and the good of our families, 
Um, at the same time, we know that God is seeing and that he sees all things and that he s- sees things even more profoundly than we see ourselves. And therefore, we need to learn to trust in him. Now, the last type of vanity that I want to look at today is a type of vanity that really is looking at self-approval. Right? There are some times in which we have to approve of ourselves. We have opinions about ourselves. Now, not thinking of sinful self-approval, I just want to look at self-approval that is based upon real standards. So let's say that we have a real idea of what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a good Catholic or a good family person or a good friend. Right? We have these standards, and they generally are pretty high bars. The problem that might arise here in vanity is that we can't live up to our own standards. If our standards are real and they reflect the reality of God's law and his church, ultimately we are going to fail to meet those standards, sometimes in big ways, often in little ways. And that's because of our brokenness, our sinfulness. And the insidious character of this type of vanity is we would like to think that if we know what we need to do, we can actually do it. But because of the woundedness from original sin, the wounds that still remain even after baptism, we have a tendency to fall. And it is our own fault that we do so. And therefore, if we try to evaluate ourselves based upon our knowledge, I know what the right thing to do is, and yet I still haven't done it. It's bound to lead us to despair. The way to fight this type of vanity is to recognize our own weaknesses, to recognize that we are not strong enough to achieve heaven on our own. But we need, desperately need, the grace of God to come into our lives through the sacraments, of course, by receiving our Lord in the Eucharist, by finding forgiveness in the sacrament of confession. And when we recognize our own weaknesses, it allows us to turn to God all the more, to be more open to the graces that are there available to us in the sacraments, and therefore to be transformed. And if we recognize our own weaknesses and the fact that God is there to heal us of those weaknesses, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, Christ is always looking at where we need to go into his presence. And he is the one who will lead us there. And so then we realize that true value is not found in self-assertion or accomplishment, but is a gift or something that we call a grace that comes to God through the sacraments and the church. And if we learn to trust in that gift, we know that God will guide us to the perfection that he has planned for us in God's own time. And so we simply must put our trust in him despite our failings, despite our weaknesses, allow them to be seen so that they may be healed. And then we know that when the Lord sees us, he will heal us, and in healing us, he will draw us to himself, and in drawing us to himself, he will bring us to everlasting happiness. And for that, we give him the glory. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son, and trusting in your love and mercy. For the church throughout the world, that her members will always be visible signs of God's providence working in their midst, the church suffering, the church in our own country, we pray to the Lord.
for all nations of the world, especially our own, that they may seek the kingdom of God. We pray to the Lord. Lord, For those who are sick and suffering, the lonely, the frustrated, the confused, that they may know God's love in the midst of their suffering. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have lost faith, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For men to abortion and euthanasia, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, especially from our own parish and diocese, and those young men and women who will respond to the call of God and to his providence. For a greater reverence for the heroism of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. For our administrator, our new bishop, whomever he may be, our priests, deacons, seminarians, and the American hierarchy. They, in particular, will respond to the call of God, first of all to holiness and then to proclaiming that kingdom. We pray to the Lord. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who died on the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. For all of our students who were confirmed last week that they will continue to grow in the grace of the Holy Spirit, we pray to the Lord. And for all those traveling on our vocation weekend, that they will come to discern the will of God in their lives, we pray to the Lord. Lord, And for all of us here, that we too will be open to the God's working in our lives, that we will not be distracted by worldly things, but seek always the kingdom of God, we pray to the Lord. Lord, We now join our prayers to those of the Mother of the Lord as we sing.